morning. Our scripture reading this morning is from Acts chapter 3, verse 1 to 10. Now Peter and John were going up to the temple at the hour of the prayer, the ninth hour. And a man, named from birth, was being carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple that is called the beautiful gate to ask alms of those entering the temple. Seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, he asked to receive alms. And Peter directed his gaze at him as did John and said, look at us. And he fixed his attention on them, expecting to receive something from them. But Peter said, I have no silver and gold, but what I do have, I give to you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and raised him up. And immediately his feet and ankles were made, made strong. And leaping up, leaping up, he stood and began to walk and entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. And all the people saw him walking and praising God and recognized him as the one that the beautiful gate of the temple asked for him, asking for alms. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. That's the word of the Lord. I think probably most of us can't point to that time. Some could, some particularly who may have faced some trauma or difficulty earlier in their lives. The, the point in our lives where in our development and our growth and maturity, we realized that not everything was necessarily going to be okay for us all of the time. Uh, it's interesting, and I might just be recounting because I live like you, but in a privileged place in the world um, where things are, compared to many places, relatively comfortable and easy. But what can be interesting is that if you, if you have passed that at some other point, you can still kind of hold on to it even as you grow older. Um, this idea that everything will be okay most or all of the time. It can move into our faith where we think, if I trust in God, and our scripture is full of promises and blessings that are true. So then, because we're already given to that sense of, I would like everything to be okay, and because of those promises, we then can think, well, if I trust in God, then everything will be okay. And then come along religious people, like myself and others at times, who talk about religious devotion and duty as if if I pray, if I read scripture, if I'm a good person, if I sacrifice myself on behalf of others, well then, now that's another kind of chip in the bank that things will be all right. Trust and obey, have faith, declare that faith. God wants to bless me, right? And if God wants to bless me, well, God 
can do anything he wants. Abundantly bless me. God has promised me. If I trust in Jesus Christ, then he will never let me down. So even as I say that, I believe that. I just don't believe that it means there won't be difficulty. If I have enough faith and pray and pray for healing, if I believe, if I have faith enough that it's like a seed, then things will be okay. How long did you tell yourself when you were a child that bad things wouldn't happen to you? They wouldn't happen because you were protected. You were protected at first in your understanding by the love of a parent who could do anything. Those parents. They would make sure you were okay all the time. But then maybe in faith, for those who subscribe to the Christian faith or another faith, you thought that protection shifted from your parents to God. Imagine for a moment then if you never grew up, if you lived with, I would call it, an illusion that everything would always work out for you if you just believed enough, were good enough. It would be harder, as we've mentioned, to live with that idea if you were in a situation of difficulty or oppression. So I sometimes think if you grew up as a, an African-American male in, the city, in a city in the United States, you probably wouldn't hold this illusion as much. Be more aware that some things are just unjust, But the truth is, for some of us and for some of you, this way of thinking can become a prison. You may even have a true and real faith. But this idea that somehow God will make sure all the time, no pain, no suffering, it's a prison. It stunts your growth. And at its heart, though it starts as faith sometimes, well, maybe, but at its heart, it's hard to determine whether that's faith or whether that's fear. You know what I mean? So you keep going, having a life of faith and freedom in Jesus Christ, but living all the time with this cloud of fear over your head. Fear for yourself, fear for your children. Your faith itself sometimes sets itself up as a bulwark against the bad in the world, a counterforce to these terrible realities. And it can then be- begin to feel as if that is what your faith is for. Why I have this faith is so I can believe enough so that I can be blessed and others might be blessed as well. So you hang on tight. Sometimes faith feels like a battle to you if you just pray enough or trust enough or believe enough. And then you'll be okay. And then, even in your own congregation, you either have to ignore or explain why bad things actually happen to good and faithful people. So we each have representatives of this. Many of us would remember in our community an absolute stalwart of faith leadership and uh, service, spiritual direction, Jesse Begbie. I didn't know Jesse when she was young, but by the time I got to know Jesse, she was, in, I would say in some ways, the spiritual leader in this congregation. And she was that for me as well. 
But I learned pretty soon that she had suffered a great deal in the years before I knew her, that she encountered a lot of loss. And some of you, I don't have any recollection of him. Some of you would remember Jesse's husband, who she didn't marry until later in life, particularly at that time in which she got married. It seemed like she was dealing with, uh, it, w- it was unsure that, not that that has to happen, but that would happen. And she got married, and then it wasn't a long marriage. And what was his name? Bruce. See? People remember. And Bruce died. And Jesse lived many years. And then Jesse, serving so faithfully, got sick. And Jesse died of cancer. I was there just before she died. And if you were to tell me or Jesse that her faith wasn't strong enough, I will tell you that you have committed an atrocity. But for those of us who wouldn't say something like that, understand that those who would at times are dealing with tremendous fear. Or, we have seen in our midst, I don't think as much as we could or should, we have seen people freed from addiction. We have seen people healed. We have seen couples reconciled. People whose marriages seem to have become quite toxic by some miracle and prayer restored, renewed. We've been in this series, The Cross, Why Did Jesus Die and What Does It Matter? The declaration over suffering, pain, sorrow, and loss is that Jesus Christ, by the work of the cross, will set all things right. The difficulty is the interpretation of what that means. So, he will set all things right. Therefore, this person who's sick, well, they, if we pray enough, they will be healed. You can believe that he has set all things right, so that is a, a natural interpretation, perhaps. But it is also true that it can be interpreted, he has set all things right so that one day, and this is actually more, much more true to Scripture, one day he will wipe away every tear. And there will be no more death. There will be no more death? So we live in the in-between time. Jesus Christ has and will set things right. We talked about sin as wrongdoing, And the cross is atonement, which is in our place. We talked about sin as the powers, the reality that there is evil in this world. And Jesus Christ gains victory in the work of the cross. And now we look at sickness and brokenness and estrangement. And we see healing and renewal and reconciliation. Sin means that the world has fallen and things are not the way they are supposed to be. You could even think at times, now I want to be very careful, don't, don't imply that sickness means that someone has sinned. But it is helpful to understand conceptually that sin is a form of sickness. It's not the way things are supposed to be. 
and we will be healed and things will be made right. In Romans, you know, many of you, if you memorize scripture, and you should, because you're going to need it. (laughs) And so one of the chapters to memorize, just memorize the whole chapter, okay, uh, is Romans chapter 8. And we're told that creation itself is groaning for fulfillment, for redemption. In other words, in the meantime, there is groaning. In the same portion of Scripture, I consider that our present sufferings. What's the implication there? We have present sufferings. But I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing to the glory that will be revealed in Christ Jesus one day. So I'm sitting at St. Timothy's this morning listening to Ken, and I see a man that I know fairly well in their congregation, a guy named John. Most of you have met John. He comes out to tasting room theology from time to time, and he has a terrible illness. And, and he, it's hard for him even to kind of move now and walk around. His heart is deteriorating in strength. And I saw him sitting in church, just, and, I, and I was overwhelmed. I was sitting at the back with a sense of, one day things will be made right. Almost like, this is not the way it's supposed to be. It is not the way it's supposed to be. Now, please understand, I'm not precluding the fact that we should be praying for healing. We'll get to that. But there is a guidepost here, and the guidepost is... Now, this is terribly challenging for almost every one of us here. I'll throw myself in, and I can look around and go, yeah, you, you, you. No, I'm just kidding. But anyway, the trouble is we're so naturally self-centered. And so we begin to equate God's power and goodness in the world with, therefore, things will always go well for me. That's an elevated view of self, right? God is good. God has blessing for you. Of that I am confident. But it is is a self-centered faith that measures the truth of God solely or even mostly by the indicators of comfort or ease in your own life. Just take a look at Christian history. Just take a look at Scripture and the people of God faithfully serving the Lord who person after person after person face difficulty. So what do you do? I don't want to hear this news. You don't want to hear this news. God is good, so I'll be healthy. God is good, so my family will be blessed. I could say, God is good, and I'm so grateful that right now I'm healthy. Every time I go for a bike ride, honestly, I don't ever want to lose that. And I, you know, I can lie to myself and say, well... The Lord knows how prayerful and important this is to me, so it'll always be here. And every time I go, I think, I could have have a bad back. I'm just so grateful. God is good. I am grateful for this health. God is good. I've seen that blessing in my family. See how it's slightly different? But curiously, if you continue and think, then the dependency is for me, for my faith, my prayer, my belief, what happens is that's a whole lot of you in your faith. Your circumstance and your religious practice. We need to take our eyes off of self to properly understand healing in Scripture and the healing of the cross over all history. So we have a picture today, and I intentionally go to a picture of direct healing in the book of Acts, chapter 3. 
Now, you would know, setting this in context and place, those of you who know your Bibles at all know Acts chapter 3. Well, even if you don't know your Bibles, you know that if it's Acts 3, what's likely to come before Acts 3? Acts 2. That is how it works. And you know that in Acts chapter 2, you have the establishment of the church by the power of the Holy Spirit coming in tongues of fire at Pentecost, people speaking in other languages, the Holy Spirit being poured out so that many come to Christ that day after a sermon and an explanation as to what's going on. But those who, who see the power of God and come to know Jesus Christ, there are others who say, those people are just drunk and crazy. It's happening even back then that there's uncertainty over what's going on. But by that power of the Holy Spirit, the church is established. And so you have Acts as the Acts of the Apostle, or probably, more properly, the Acts of the Holy Spirit as the church is established. Acts chapter 2. Chapter 2 moves on from the arrival, or the coming in power, I should say, of the Holy Spirit, to a description of what then the people were like, how they lived. And they shared... And they loved one another. And nobody went without. I mean, it's, it's very interesting. And you move closer to Acts chapter 3. And the acts of the Holy Spirit include many miraculous things. Healings, praying for people who are imprisoned, and in, in, in some cases they're freed. But not in all. And there are bad things as well. The apostle who wrote, all things work together for the good of those who believe. History tells us that he was executed by decapitation and his body was thrown in an unmarked grave. He wrote, all things work together for the good of those who believe. Now, we know linguistically that he didn't mean, if you study the actual scripture, he didn't, it's not an individual text. It doesn't mean that all things, everything works together for my individual good. All things work together for the good of those who believe. See the difference? Another disciple, one who we're looking at today, he was crucified upside down, according to history. So somehow, somehow, these early giants of the faith believed strongly probably, well, not probably, often more than we do, and we need to be instructed by that, in healing. They believed in blessing, but they carried an accompanying maturity of faith that it did not mean that they wouldn't face terrible difficulty, sickness, oppression, and it didn't mean that they would have ease, blessing, and always material wealth. They understood that though there were times of great healing and miracle, something bigger always than that individual picture was going on. We are told what they did, what this church community did. Last week we introduced or identified two words in relationship to the cross. One was apocalyptic, which means not like extreme event at the end of time. Apocalyptic means disclosure. So you can picture this beautiful day we have here. If it's all gray and you can't see the mountains, and then the next morning you wake up and you see this beautiful place in which we live, that it has been disclosed. So that the cross, by the work of the cross, history will have been disclosed to have a meaning in Jesus Christ. That is Christian faith. And the second word was eschatology or eschatological. 
Apocalyptic means disclosure. Eschatological, eschatology means direction. Things are headed somewhere. So if things are headed somewhere, it means that in many ways they are not there yet. It is already and not yet. All history is headed towards reconciliation in Jesus Christ. Our word says that. We seek to understand what that means. And by the end of of chapter 2 in Acts, as they lived in this expectation of all things being made right, what did they do? It's identified at the end of chapter 2. Four things it says the people did. Ready for them? Teaching. Fellowship. Breaking of bread. And prayer. Pretty good list. This is what this community did. They taught one another about Jesus Christ, the scriptures. They met in fellowship and community, sharing their lives together. They broke bread together. That is a direct reference to communion and marking the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. And they prayed, and they prayed for one another. That is the essence of community life. We're told that they lived together, sharing everything, and they had this distinctive community formed by their faith in Jesus Christ, their values formed by that. And as they live that faith, they live in a world that doesn't share that faith for the most part. Many of you grew up in a time where it seemed more like much more of the world did share that, the world around us. But now we live in a time where we can a little more closely identify living this Christian faith out in a surrounding in which it is not the default understanding of many or most people. So living in that world, they have both a commitment to live out their faith, demonstrate it, and speak about it in the world. And as they do that, they face encouragement. They see people coming to know Jesus Christ, but they also face opposition. And that's all in the Acts of the Apostles, the Acts of the Holy Spirit. While they are doing that, while they are living this faith as a community of Jesus Christ, some remarkable things happen. And one of them, repeatedly, is healing. People are healed of ailments. People are freed from spiritual oppression. So in Acts chapter 3, verses 1 to 10, Peter and John are going up to the temple. Can you get the tone? They're doing what the community does. And as they're going up to the temple, they see this man being carried by the temple gate beautiful. Makes the story nicer. By the gate called beautiful. And the man is about to and beginning to ask for money, for alms, money for the poor. And Peter, and if you know anything about Peter, you're like, that's awesome that that's Peter. Peter looks at him and kind of goes for it. I don't have any, I mean, I just did this yesterday at City Market Loblaws. It's so easy now, right? I was, I was also telling the truth, but like the cadets were there looking for change. And it's, I don't know how those places make it anymore because so many people don't ever carry cash. So Peter had a debit card instead or something. Silver or gold we do not have. And he looks at the man and the man looks at him. But what we have, we give you. In the name of Jesus Christ, rise up and walk. And the man does. And he jumps. And he leaps. And scripture says, he goes walking and leaping and praising God as he goes into the temple. This man, who had been cut off 
from this physical wellness. This man who had in many ways been cut off from community is restored. Now what's going on? Please understand that one of the things that's happening, in in, in essence, the thing that's happening, is a picture is being offered of full restoration in Jesus Christ that will happen over all history. This man was blessed to experience that in this particular way at that particular time. Do you believe in the healing? I do. I just picture that man walking and leaping and praising. We're told he'd been lame from birth. And I, it's hard for me to understand that, but I at least do this. All of those inadequacies, God can, by his power, remove them. Followers of Jesus Christ, and here's an important point, in Jesus' name, Declare healing over this man and he is healed. So what do we do with this? The healing story takes place in chapter 3, verses 1 to 10. If you continue in your scripture, you'll see that chapter 3, verses 11 to 26 is a sermon. In other words, it's, a, it's, about, it's just over twice as long in the actual language is taken up by the sermon than by the narrative of the healing. In other words, the explanation seems to be quite important. The healing in the explanation is mentioned, but barely. Mentioned in this tone as Peter sees this astonishment and says, why are you astonished? Why would he be asking that? Why are you astonished? God has good for us, and if good happens like this, it shouldn't be astonishing to you. And then he goes on to explain about Jesus Christ, who he is, his crucifixion. Healing, though it is mentioned, is not the point of the explanation, and it is not the direction of the explanation to therefore go and heal. What is the injunction in the sermon? You'll see it. The injunction is to put your faith in Jesus Christ. Some would think that after an extraordinary event like that, it would be to reproduce extraordinary events like that. But there's something more and bigger. The call to action is for repentance and faith. So, for us, what can we take from this? This first point is, I guess they're all important to me if I have them in the sermon, but I'm feeling the importance of this point in our church community at this time. The first thing to say is that we are to pray for healing in Jesus' name. We are to pray for healing in Jesus' name. We likely err on one side of this. And my feeling in faith is that's okay as long as we know it. In other words, if someone can say, well, I just believe that everybody should be healed all the time. And then that they're able to say, but I know that not everybody thinks that way. And we live this faith together. And that somebody who says, well, I don't really, I guess I don't really expect physical healing, but... I kind of believe it, that that person goes, no, I need your faith at times. And that we live this faith together. But we are to pray for healing in Jesus' name. I was speaking to Andy Perrette. Andy is currently in Nepal with Daniel. That's correct, right? Not yet. Oh, he's on the way. And they're doing like bird watching there too, Andy is? Yeah, so Andy and Marlene from Granville Chapel um, are going to Nepal and having another 
part of that as well. But I was talking to Andy from Granville last, almost a year ago in Waterloo. We were at a conference together, and we were talking about healing. And he gave a story of healing in, in, in the congregation at Granville. And somebody um, referencing that later, and, the, and their description stuck with me. They said, all, all I know, this person said, is we never saw much physical healing until we expected it. And many of us need to be instructed in that. So we can err on one side. But we can err on the other side and thinking that healing is the big news, turning the story of this man into some kind of healing crusade. Jesus is the big news, not the healing. Even for Peter, even in this story, right after the healing happens. Jesus Christ, the one who will set all things right, is the big news. They're dancing around. They're celebrating, rightfully so. And Peter preaches this sermon. In other words, healing acts as a sign of something bigger and more. And so we celebrate when we see it. And we ought to see it more. But we don't hold it up as the big news. It's a sign that one day everything will be made right. A signal of the kingdom of God. So we pray for healing. And we even begin to identify in our church community people who are blessed with the ability to pray for healing, the manifestation of the Holy Spirit. So do you see how we can do this together? That we need the people both on both sides of this. On one side, greater expectation. On the other side, the reminder that sometimes we need to lighten up and sometimes we, de- we need to accept that bad things do happen. And they can't be explained by lack of faith or not following a formula. So we're okay. But come Holy Spirit and open this avenue to us that may have been closed by our own doing. We mentioned in the first point, that second point, that the focus is on Jesus Christ, not on the healing. Remember what they did as a community. Teaching, fellowship, breaking of bread, and prayer. That's what we ought to commit ourselves to. And in the midst of that, by the power of the Holy Spirit, we will see many or some of these supernatural manifestations. I thought of it last week when Claudia told told us of praying for her friend at work. What was Claudia doing? She was just going to work. It wasn't a healing crusade. It It was going to work and having this kind of trust in God. And then praying for her friend who experiences this healing. Peter and John did not open up John and Peter's healing crusade. They should have. Would have made more money. They would have had some silver and gold then. Jesus himself says, this is around the feeding of the 5,000. He says to people, you follow me not because you see the bigger truths, but because you get your fill. He's not saying that in a congratulatory way. He's saying, it's easy to have faith if you just, if I can give you what you want all the time. 
But there's something bigger going on. The focus is on Jesus Christ, not on the healing. And finally, the nature of the healing. The nature of the healing, as we mentioned, is a sign that one day things will be put right. I've been reading this book by Kate Bowler, who um, in her early 30s was diagnosed with stage 4 cancer. And she is reflecting on that, talking about it. She talks about going, she's from Manitoba, but she's working at Duke University in the United States. And she talks about going back to her small church in Manitoba. This is a number of years ago. She's recalling once she's sick, and she wants healing prayer, and she wants all of this. But she's in this in-between space. She She recalls a number of years earlier going back to the small church where she grew up. And she sees somebody there that she knew, somebody older than her, a woman that she knew. And she says, oh, hi, Susan. And then she remembers as she's just talking in this chipper way that Susan had recently been diagnosed with advanced cancer. She's remembering this when she herself is sick. And then she remembers what Susan said to her at the time. Susan said, because then Kate Bowler's caught in this, like, oh, what do I say now? I've been so happy. And the woman says to her, she says, you know, to this point in my life, I have experienced a great deal of happiness and comfort and relative ease. And Jesus Christ has been with me. I think I'm now entering a time of difficulty and suffering. And Jesus Christ will be with me. And I'm going to know what that's like. The nature of healing. One day, all things will be made new. The word for healing in the New Testament is the same word as salvation. This is so much more than your physical well-being. All things will be made new. Even much more than your individual spiritual well-being. All things will be made new. So Revelation 22, the end of our scripture, gives this picture. The leaves of the trees are for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be anything accursed. Revelation 21, he will wipe away every tear. And then this declaration that many of you who have lost people could feel like a hope. He will wipe away every tear. There will be no more death. No more mourning or crying or pain. In the meantime, we will see the power of that occasionally now but then we shall see it fully. This is our hope. If Peter and John thought that the physical healing was the big news, they would have opened a business. But they knew. One day. And in the meantime, teaching, fellowship, breaking of bread, and prayer. We are weird in this world, you know that, right? We believe that people can be physically healed in prayer in the name of Jesus Christ. I believe that. Many people think that's weird. It is weird. So I'm with a family at the hospital when I was a chaplain there. Those who've known me for some time would know that this is one of those stories that remains in my mind in prayers. And I'm called in to be with a family who had a stillbirth. And they just moved from Ontario. Didn't know anybody here. So they call the chaplain. And I go in and the mom doesn't want to let go of the baby. And I see that the baby is blue. 
What do you think I'm doing in that time? I'm praying. I guess you could say that some people would say, well, you should have prayed that the baby would be resurrected. I'll tell you what I did. I prayed so quietly, silently in my own mind to God. Dear God, one day, I know, things like this won't happen. And now I'm going to try to be present for this family. And I was the one who was able, after praying for them, to take that child. But even now, it's in my mind. One day, even that child will be known fully and will know those parents in faith in Jesus Christ. That's the promise of things being set right. No longer will there be anything accursed. No longer will there be anything that is not the way it's supposed to be. We will be restored and renewed. And in the meantime, we teach fellowship, break bread, and pray, including prayer for healing. Let me pray for this communion, remembering what Jesus Christ has done for us. So, Lord Jesus Christ, we turn to you now, admitting that though it hurts us at times to say it, uh, we can't alleviate all the pain in the world. And by some Uh, something we can't fully explain. You don't right now alleviate all the pain in the world. But you will. And it is somehow accomplished in your work on the cross that will one day be fulfilled. So as we take this bread and this cup, we ask that you open our minds to what healing in you means. And we would ask that you would pour out healing in this place so that we could grow in this in ways that we need to. But for this reason, that you would have the glory. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.